all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for joining us today. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Today, we're going to be exploring the immune system a little bit more, and that's kind of a system that's been thrust into the spotlight lately with COVID-19. And so if you have questions or comments for us about um, how the immune system works or anything that you've been hearing, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can email us, fit at mpbonline.org. Or you can go over to my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie, and interact with us there. I have a very special guest uh, joining me today, virtually, of course, because we are social distancing. But I have Dr. Erin Taylor. She is an immunologist and an instructor in the Department of Physiology, also at UMMC. So I'm very excited to have her on the show today to help me start to tackle some of these things. Good morning, Erin. Hey, good morning. You doing okay today? I'm doing pretty well, yeah. Good, good. So, you know, you're an immunologist, and so some folks may not know exactly what that is. So tell us a little bit about what that is, um, kind of what the training is to be an immunologist and what you do at UMC. Sure. So um, an immunologist is somebody who studies the immune system, and it can be, uh, you can study usually something pretty specific, so a certain aspect of the immune system. Um, and what I do is I actually, I went to graduate school uh, for immunology. So I got my PhD in immunology and I actually studied um, something pretty interesting. I studied the immune system of the catfish here at UMC. I know people may not realize that, but, um, but <laughs> what I'd like to remind people is that fish have an immune system that's remarkably similar to humans. So um, that was my initial training. And then now um, after graduating, I work in um, the Department of Physiology and study uh, the immune system and how it contributes to chronic disease such as hypertension um, and uh, obesity and things like that. So, so yeah, which, I have a little bit of different experiences. Yeah, which, you know, of course is, you know, something that I fully support and fully believe in. You know, listeners to the show know that we talk about um, kind of the underlying kind of chronic inflammation that is happening with a lot of our chronic diseases, um, and that obesity in and of itself is a pretty metabolically active disease process going on that has a lot of, of underlying inflammation going on. So it's fascinating the more we learn about the role of the immune system in, you know, in chronic disease, not just in an acute situation, which is sometimes what we think about with the immune system. Mm -hmm. So for folks who may not know exactly what 
what the immune system is. What, sure. what, what is this very important system? Well, so what I would like people to think about the immune system is it's really, it's everywhere. So it's the only body system that you can think of that the cell or proteins of it are everywhere. They're in your skin, they're in your mouth, they're in the digestive tract, they're in basically every organ tissue or, or tissue, even your brain. And what the immune system tries to do is it tries to limit an infection or some kind of um, problem that it its you know senses and if it can't limit that infection right away you know most of the things that we encounter on a daily basis we don't even know we encountered them because our immune system did its job and if it can't do its job that quickly then we have sort of a more advanced arm of the immune system so some of the b cells and the t cells that you might hear about um that will try to you know combat that infection or issue and then the important thing about that is that Hopefully later on, if you're challenged with um, an infection again, it, it'll help protect you in the future. So kind of remembers. Yes, yeah. It does. It does. And, and so I kind of, you know, I like to think in pictures. And so I think about the immune system as kind of little, little soldiers who are yeah. just kind of lined up to, to fight for us mm -hmm. against any kind of invader, whether it be um, a virus, a bacteria, a, you know, a parasite, or, you know, a, just a foreign body. It, our, our bodies got these little soldiers that are just like, mm -mm, no, no, ma'am, you're not coming up in here. <laughs> and <laughs> it's probably because I was a pediatric nurse for so long. Mm -hmm. I just think, it, I think in terms of cartoons and how best to explain things to folks. And so, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, that our immune system can respond to kind of urgent things and then kind of have more of a chronic um, response going on. And, you know, I put my immune system to the test this weekend, uh, did not, did not mean to, uh, but we, <laughs> we went up to um, the Delta to pick our kids up. And while we were up there, we thought, Hey, we'll grab our fishing boat and, and bring it back down. So the, the boys can, can go fishing. And there was a big rusty, um, piece of wire in the grass that I did not see and it decided to visit the inside of my ankle and oh just <laughs> puncture wound right up in my ankle and it initially did not look like it was going to bleed and then it it did all the bleeding like just just all all, all the places and so we had a little we had a little uh, mini emergency in the middle of nowhere but, uh, you know, we got, got it wrapped up, got the bleeding stopped, but then I immediately went to an urgent care center because I know that there are things that I need to do to help support uh, my body's response to that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so that's a little bit more of an extreme case, but, you know, thinking about if you get a cut, if you get, um, you know, a, a, a bite from an animal, you know, you just, you're cutting something and you slip and you, you, you cut your hand. The immune system responds to that. And, Absolutely. you know, some of the first things we see are inflammation, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. what, what is inflammation? So inflammation is characterized by a couple different things. You'll see, you know, you might see redness, you might see some swelling, and you may see some, um, you know, something like that. And what's really happening is that your immune system, and I would call it more of the innate or initial form of the immune system is coming into that area. So it's been kind of just like you said, like soldiers waiting and they, they sense something. There might be 
there's proteins that are um, secreted and they tell the immune system, hey, you need to get over here and help us out. And they all kind of rush over there. They're circulating in your blood and they're, they're ready. And cells called neutrophils will accumulate there. And those neutrophils, they secrete um, cytokines and tell your body um, to try to kind of limit this infection. And so in the case of, for example, you encountering this rusty wire, <laughs> you know, your immune system immediately went into, um, you probably, it was probably red right, right away. And so sometimes you'll see, um, not to be too gross, but you might see like white, you know, um, for lack of a better word, pus there. And actually, mm-hmm. I always like to talk about pus because that's actually dead neutrophils. So they've yes. done their job, right? And so that they're there. And that's a you know, pus isn't necessarily the greatest thing you want to see, but it is evidence that your immune system and the inflammatory response has actually done something for you. Yeah, <laughs> you absolutely. Limited it. Absolutely. You know, and I think a lot of times people think about redness, swelling as signs of infection, and it absolutely can be, but you got to think about where you are in the stage of the injury. If it just happened, that redness and that swelling is not indicative of an infection right at that point in time. That's the inflammation. So mm-hmm. your, your little capillaries around that area kind of get leaky because mm-hmm. they're trying to deliver some different things to the area. And that's Absolutely. why you get some of that swelling, um, some of that, that redness, and even some of the heat that you can have in that area heat because good, yeah, remember, yeah, yeah. everything is kind of delivered to that area. But if redness and swelling and heat continues past about 24 hours or so, or it starts to get worse, then we got to start thinking maybe there's, you know, a secondary infection Mm -hmm. or something going on here. So we want to help our immune system as much as we can. So in my case, um, we, once we got the bleeding stopped, we, uh, I, I immediately asked for some saline and some hydrogen peroxide and kinds of things and was trying to rinse out as much, uh, of that foreign material as I could. And then I went and got a tetanus shot. Mm -hmm. Um, that's super important and something that, um, I kind of want to highlight for folks, um, we do real good in kids about making sure that kids get their vaccines, um, you know, school requirements and that kind of stuff. Um, kids do need a, t- a tetanus booster at about age 11 to 12. Um, so it's important to remember that. And then we should boost every 10 years after that for a tetanus shot. A lot of adults tend to kind of fall off. Um, in getting their routine vaccinations there. So it's important. And the second piece of that is that 10 years is just kind of your safety net. But if you have an injury and it's been more than five years, it's time to get um, a shot for that. And so mine had been um, more than five years. So I was making sure I got my tetanus shot for that because tetanus is not something that you want to, not something you want to mess around with. Absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. (laughs) <laughs> Lock jaw just doesn't sound yes. like a good situation. No, 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 no. Yeah, and the you know the second thing that we did is you know mine was a puncture wound, so that meant it went fairly deep, and so you know regardless of how well you wash it out, you may not be able to get it completely clean, and so we did some antibiotics as well, just to kind of help um, any extra um, things that may be kind of seeded down uh, down in there to to take care of there. So. I got to test my immune system this weekend and um, wasn't really something that I had on my list of things to do, but you know, that's how life goes. 
I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. If you're a parent on the go, but still want to stay informed about your children's education, subscribe to Mississippi Education Connections podcast and listen on the go anytime, anywhere on your favorite podcast app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, and I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. Joining me today, I have Dr. Erin Taylor. She is an immunologist at UMMC, and we're kind of digging down into the immune system today and trying to answer or at least explain some of the things that you may be hearing in the news. If you have a question or a comment for us, you can do that now. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring it's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Our email is fit at mpbonline.org, or you can interact with me over on Facebook at Healthy Habits with Josie. And I think we do have a phone call on the line, so we're going to go down to Beaumont and talk with Sue. Good morning, Sue. Good morning, ladies. How are y'all today? <clears throat> we are doing well. That, How can we help you? This is a subject that has interested me very, very uh, acutely for years. I, I don't know why, but... Uh, I, I know. I wonder why your body develops autoimmune diseases. I mean, I know that lupus is on. I think off right off my right off the top of my head. But what are some of the more common autoimmune diseases, and why does your body turn on itself and and develop this autoimmune capacity? Excellent question, Sue. Excellent question. And so you mentioned lupus, um, which is one of them. Rheumatoid arthritis um, is often another one. And then there are some that people may not um, think about uh, kind of as much. There's some connective tissue disorders that are out there, things like scleroderma and, you know, different things that have um, an autoimmune component to them. Um, But Erin, tell us a little bit about autoimmune disease and what that means. Sure. So actually, it's funny. I was... I was pleased when I heard the question because that's usually um, that's most of our research involves actually um, autoimmunity and um, so autoimmunity what causes it is sort of like a, a I don't know past a million dollar question maybe a billion dollar question but really <laughs> it's it's a complicated so what I would say is both your genes and your genetics and your environment so that could be something like an infection. Um, some sort of stressor in your life um, can lead to the development of autoimmunity. And so, you know, you'll see sometimes that people that have uh, a, a parent that has autoimmunity, they have a, they have certainly have a, a greater chance to develop autoimmunity. And what it is, is one of the main hallmarks of the immune system is the ability to distinguish your body's own tissues versus what you would call non-self or, you know, something foreign. And in autoimmunity, there's a breakdown in that. And so it is simply put, your body sort of attacks your own tissues in different ways. And in the case of lupus and most of the autoimmune diseases, you start producing 
called autoantibodies or antibodies that cross-react with your own cells and, and parts of your cells and tissues. And this leads to a lot of different problems. In the case of lupus, um, it can be having kidney problems. And ultimately, a lot of them have a high risk of cardiovascular disease because of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's a, you kind of mentioned that, you know, we never know 100% what exactly is triggering no. this, but it, it tends to be, or what we think it is, is kind of a combination of a couple of things. So mm-hmm. kind of your genetic predisposition, like you mentioned, maybe someone in your family has it. It may not even be someone in your immediate family mm-hmm. um, yes. that has it, but some kind of genetic predisposition and then some kind of environmental trigger. Um, so we see it sometimes with, um, post infections, a lot of times with viral infections, um, afterwards, um, you'll see kind of it, it, uh, initiated the kind of, you know, autoimmune kind of cascade that we have going on there. Um, and it, and the manifestations of autoimmune disease are, are vast depending on which type you have and what type of cell is being, um, impacted. You mentioned with lupus, Mm -hmm. you get a lot of times it's kidney, um, with lupus, um, then heart as well. Lots of people tend to think about the characteristic kind of skin manifestations uh, of lupus, kind of the butterfly rash across the face and that kind of stuff. Um, but joint pain is often another one that we see. Um, and with lupus, you can actually have um, lupus cerebritis and brain um, involvement uh, in that as well. So it's definitely, um, you know, something that I see very, very frequently, um, you know, in, in primary care and in preventive medicine and, and something that, you know, a lot of research is is devoted towards right now and understanding why it happens to some people and not others and, you know, how we can best treat it there. So I hope that helped you out a little bit there, Sue. That was an absolutely fantastic question. Um, if you've got a question for us, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring And, you know, I think it's a perfect kind of segue into um, kind of talking about what is an antigen and what is an antibody, because those those play into whether it's a regular immune response or um, an autoimmune response. So tell me what an antigen is. Sure. An antigen is just kind of a generic word. So it's any kind of chemical structure or protein on a pathogen like a bacteria or virus uh, or it could just be like something like an an, a particle an air pollutant something like that that can be an antigen and it's something that you know sort of elicits an immune response so that that's kind of the basic word uh definition of the word antigen i would say yeah Yeah, it's it's some kind of invader something that Mm -hmm. irritates you um and not not irritates you like makes you mad (laughs) (laughs) It actually, you know, irritates your immune um, system to say you're not supposed to be here right now, you know, Um, and then those little soldiers kind of start to activate. And Mm -hmm. so we hear a lot about antibodies. What is an antibody? So an antibody is, it's actually a protein that's made by your body. It's made by something called a B cell. And I want to tell everybody that they are made all the time. So antibodies are constantly circulating through their, your body. And when you look at a picture of an antibody, sort of a cartoon, it looks like a Y. And, it, you know, it's kind of a Y-shaped protein. And they have um, at the top of the Y, the two points of the Y, there's this region. And this region, it can sort of bind different antigens and proteins. 
And then when you have an infection, what happens is the those antibodies that are specific for, um, you know, that, that pathogen, they bind it, and then sort of a complicated series of events happen. It's not, the details aren't that important, but what happens is that your body will make more of those antibodies, it'll make more of the cells that make the antibody, and that's sort of what happens. And then hopefully what happens at the end of the infection, you sort of resolved it, your antibody, you still have a memory of that. So you still have the capability to make that particular antibody. But, you know, antibodies are made all the time. And there's, like, I think there's maybe 10 to the 12 or 10 to the 15 different possible antibodies made by your body. And they're just constantly in your circulation. So yes, yeah. the antibody in the nutshell. Yeah. And so we, we kind of think about, um, it, I think sometimes people think that it's your immune system is, is not doing anything and then it gets exposed to something and it suddenly starts working. No, it's, it's keeping us alive all the time yeah. doing back, doing background work there. Yes. All right. We've absolutely. got, a, we've got a caller. We're going to go to past Christiana and talk to Catherine this morning. Hello, Catherine. Oh, hi. Um, I was wondering if you can have a mild case of lupus and have negative ANA and a negative set rate. Wow. Okay. That's a great question there. And so, um, Aaron, do you have anything you want to kind of talk about here? Or? Uh, well, I mean, I, so I have not an MD, so I will say that, <laughs> but in my knowledge of, of lupus, yes. Now okay. I will say that 90% of people with lupus, I want to say, don't quote me on that 90%, around 90% of people with lupus are going to make some sort of of anti-nuclear antibody so i think it would be maybe possible and you know and also i think the levels of of something like the ana the anti-nuclear antibody test could vary over time mm -hmm. so if you went back later it could be back up so you know lupus is characterized by flares and remission and so you you could potentially have you know sort of cyclical levels of, of an autoantibody in your circulation yeah absolutely <laughs> and so clinically we see that as well um you know I hesitate to say that it's a mild case. It's right. just a, a seronegative case. So where we don't um, see the actual circulating antibodies, but the, the patient fits the clinical picture for an autoimmune disease, has the, you know, the, the appropriate clinical manifestations and respond to um, the, the therapy that we would normally do for that, some type of immunosuppression or treatment there. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's in the literature, it's in clinical practice that we do see people that, that are kind of classified as seronegative. Um, and then, you know, thinking that a little bit broader that it may not be lupus, it may be one of these other autoimmune diseases that are out there that are clinically um, very similar in terms of clinical yeah. manifestations, um, but that have a different, um, kind of auto antibody pattern that you would see there. And so that's really getting in to see um, a rheumatologist um, um, to dig down into all of those antibody potentials that are out there to see if any of those flesh out and show up. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So long answer to your, your question, but yes. <laughs> okay. right, can Catherine, I ask one more question? Oh, absolutely. Sure. What can we do for you? Do you ever see uh, um, autoimmunity develop after cancer diagnosis and treatment? Hmm. I mean, do you I ever have not see a connection? personally seen I'm it, Erin? Have you? No, no. I, I mean, I 
you know, I think that that's possible. I'd have to look it up, but you know, it could be that you, whenever, you know, cancer, depending on the medications you take for it could drastically alter your immune system. Right. And so I think mm-hmm. it would certainly be a possibility uh, but yeah, I, I don't know personally. Yeah, I can't. I can't quote you any statistics on that, or you know, any particular mm-hmm. study. That would be something I have to dig a little bit farther into. Um, kind of scientifically, it makes makes sense, mm-hmm. you know, to think about how that could potentially happen. Um, but I don't have you know kind of hard, concrete evidence for you on that. But it's a great okay. question and one I'll dig into. All right. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for giving us a call. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell. Joining me today, I have Dr. Aaron Taylor, and we're talking all about the immune system today. We've had some great callers. If you would like to give us a call, our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can also email us, fit at mpbonline.org. Or you can interact with me over on Facebook at Healthy Habits with Josie. And I think we've got a couple callers on the line. So we'll go ahead and go to Vicksburg and talk with Marsha. Good morning, Marsha. Good morning. How can we help Um, you today? Well, I have osteopenia and my doctor told me to uh, exercise and get calcium. And she also said to take vitamin D but she didn't specify a dosage, and you kind of have to be careful with that, don't you, because you can, it can get too high. Yes, ma'am. Um, so the, the recommendations are correct. So with osteopenia, kind of the bone is thinning, but not thin enough to be um, full osteoporosis. So now is a great time to start working on things that help us maintain the bone strength that we have. And so weight-bearing exercise, meaning not in a pool or, or something like that where you're actually putting pressure on, on your bones when you're doing things like walking or jogging or dancing um, are great ways to help with that. Um, and then calcium and vitamin D. So I would be curious to know if you've had a vitamin D level checked. I, am, I don't know. I didn't get a result on it. Okay, so that's kind of one place that I normally go when I see someone with osteopenia is I look and see what their vitamin D level is, because there can be, there's over-the-counter 
vitamin D, and then there's prescription strength vitamin D. And depending on whether you have a kind of a normal or low normal vitamin D level, over the counter is probably appropriate. If you've got a true vitamin D deficiency, then we may need to do prescription strength vitamin D. So that would kind of be the first question I would ask your healthcare provider is, you know, what is my vitamin D level? Um, and well, then now, most folks, go ahead. Oh, I have a note on my results sheet. It says vitamin D, and then there's the number 68, and then the notation good. <laughs> yes, yes. So that that's fine. Um, depending on which form of vitamin D that, that she drew there. Um, and actually, 68 is a little bit on the higher end uh, of what I would consider normal for vitamin D. Um, so that the, I would actually recommend that you, that you call your provider and have a little bit more kind of frank discussion about what your vitamin D level is and if there are any kind of specific recommendations for that. Usually most mm-hmm. folks who don't have a true vitamin D deficiency are, are fine to kind of do the over-the-counter calcium and vitamin D, and that's usually about 400 international units of vitamin D in those over-the-counter supplements there. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, we need a little bit more information in your case, so it's, it's time to give them a call and, and kind of discuss um, exactly how much vitamin D they want you to be taking. Okay. Well, it could be that she wasn't recommending it, that she was saying, well, you're fine on that. So uh, uh, That okay, may well. be. That may be. Yes. Yeah, so definitely explore that a little bit more and see kind of what she, uh, what she has in mind for you in terms of, of your vitamin D. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're very, very welcome. All right. We've got a couple callers on the line. So we're going to go down uh, and talk to Jeannie and Bay Springs. Hey. Good morning, Jeannie. Good morning. Okay, How can this, I help you? With this virus thing going around, I want to boost my immune system, and I, I heard that zinc was a good thing. What, what are some things that I do, should do to boost my immune system? And what about zinc? So, um, and, and Aaron, you can jump in if you feel like it. You know, there's, there's no magic bullet uh, in terms of, you know, a perfect treatment for a thing. Um, vitamins and minerals are important in overall health and in immune function, right? So we taking um, or making sure we have adequate amounts of vitamins and minerals is, is never a bad thing. Um, where we would like to see people get those is from food. Um, and so eating um, a uh, well-balanced diet is one of the best ways to support the immune system. So there are several ways to do it. And we've talked about it on the show some before. Um, and I've posted some graphics about how your lifestyle impacts your immune system. But, you know, a, a well-balanced diet, and when I say well-balanced, I mean fruits, veggies, whole grains, and then, you know, lean sources of protein, whether that be um, from an animal source or from a plant-based um, source there. Um, physical activity to a certain degree also helps boost the immune system. Now you can kind of over exercise to a point where you stress out the immune system, but most people are not going to exercise to that degree. Certainly not if you're just getting the recommended 150 minutes to 300 minutes of, of moderate intensity exercise. Um, the other two that are really important and not talked about enough are the stress, um, an emotional health aspect to supporting the immune system and making sure that we focus on stress reduction techniques to help and then sleep. Um, you know, having a, a good sleep pattern, getting seven to nine hours of good quality sleep, all kind of four of those things are really foundational to supporting a healthy immune system. Do you agree there, Erin? 
Oh, absolutely. And zinc, I mean, the only thing I can think of, you know, zinc is T-cells, you know, your T-cells, right. which we haven't really talked about yet. I think they use zinc and, but, you know, I think if you get a well-balanced diet, right. you really don't need more zinc right 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 yeah, right so. you know and there have been you know some kind of smaller studies that look at zinc in relationship to the common cold um you know it's often mm-hmm. what's in um like zycam and airborne and some of those types of mm-hmm. things there along with vitamin c but the kind of effects are are small um of course mm-hmm. there's been some things some some articles that have come out related to COVID 19 with that and it is in um, some of the treatment protocols that are out there for for patients um, as well but what i don't want people to do is to load up on things um, and then let that change their behavior right so even the healthiest immune system you could still acquire COVID-19 and you could still have a not great outcome from that. You know, that's one of the things with, with this particular virus. One, we're learning more about it every single day because it's new. And, and the second piece of that is uh, there's not, it's kind of unpredictable. You know, I mean, there are things that we can think about that, that we know people who have kind of chronic underlying disease don't do as well with it but there are also healthy you know young adults who don't do well with it so I don't want people to kind of take some zinc and some vitamin c and be like I'm good to go I don't need to wear my mask I can just holler up on people and you know smush my face up next to them and have a party you know that's just not what we want not what we want to do the the best thing is is the social distancing the mask wearing um and, you know, hand washing, hand washing is the number one way we prevent the spread of any type of infection. Um, so, you know, it, it, there's, I'm always very, very um, cautious when anything, when I see any headline that says the miracle cure or the magic bullet or anything like that, because there's disease is so multifactorial that there's very unlikely to be any magic bullet for, you know, something as, as kind of unpredictable as what this virus is right now. Right. So. Gotcha. That was very good information. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for giving us a call. I'm going to hang up. Would you address um, children are not immune to this? Uh, We've been Uh, hearing that children are immune, and that's not true, right? Right, absolutely. So, um, you know, I kind of feel like I sound like a broken record when we say we don't know everything, you know, but that's kind of how it is, you know. Because the symptomatology of COVID-19 was was very similar to influenza when it first started, we kind of thought that it was going to follow, or our best kind of scientific guess was that it was going to follow the same kind of transmission patterns and, and clinical course as seasonal influenza. And we know that elderly people do poorly with the flu and little kids tend to get it and, and get it and spread it. And, you know, don't do great. Some kids don't do great with the flu. Um, and so we kind of thought maybe that would be the pattern. And then it kind of didn't appear to be that way. You know, we thought kids were not getting it as much, um, that they certainly weren't being hospitalized as much and not dying as much. And so that trend still holds true. There's, there are not as many kids with it. Um, and when they do get it, they do tend to have a, a better clinical course, meaning they don't require hospitalization as frequently and they're, and they don't um, die at the same rate as adults do 
but it's still clinically significant for them, um, you know, and we see more and more of that. You know, when you look at our numbers um, for Mississippi, about 10, per, 10 to 11 percent of our case count is pediatric, you know, is under the age of 18 when you look at, at the number of kids there. And there's kind of this great unknown as to what's going to happen with, uh, with schools because kids have largely been um, – not as exposed because schools shut down and they were at home and those kinds of things. And so what's it going to look like when we're kind of all back together and and that kind of thing. Um, So kids can get it. Kids can spread it. um, And the, the science around how kids are going to do with it is still kind of evolving. Wouldn't you agree there, Erin? Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, the thing that concerns me is when we look at, um, you know, children that have passed away from, from COVID or that have required hospitalization, you know, they do tend, a lot of them have underlying health conditions, but some of them also have kind of another respiratory pathogen going on. You know, maybe they have uh, the common cold virus or something like that going on. And so we are rapidly approaching flu season. And so what is the combination of, uh, you know, SARS-CoV-2 and seasonal influenza going to look like as they're both circulating together and then as there is a co-infection with both of those in in someone. So there we have absolutely no idea on that one because it's a situation that we haven't mm-hmm. haven't dealt with before. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes. That was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell. Joining me today is Dr. Aaron Taylor. And we've been answering lots of questions about the immune system today. We've had lots of great callers, and we have a couple callers on the line. And so we're going to hop on over and talk with them. We're going to go to Laurel and talk with Pam. Good morning, Pam. Good morning. How can we help you? Well, I have um, I had psoriasis as a child, and um, my I used to go every week and get the cortisone shots, you know, like mm-hmm. that, and that would help me, you know, when I was growing up. And at that time, we didn't know how bad they were, but I would go every week to the dermatologist and he would give me the the steroid cortisone shots. And, you know, I kept it at bay, and then I got older. It's like it became worse to the point now I have psoriatic arthritis, and some Mm -hmm. days I can hardly walk. And because my feet and my legs swell and just bleed and, you know, they just bust open. 
And I went through the methotrexate. I've been through mm-hmm. like four autoimmune types of medication trying to help me, and nothing seems to help me. So the last doctor I went to, he said, basically, I, I guess a monster had been created by me taking so much steroids growing up, and there really mm-hmm. wasn't anything else I could do. Now, I also feel like that when I take vitamins and things like that, it seems like, I get better. So that's mm-hmm. why I was wondering about the environmental matters, like what happens that, you know, affects the, the if there's anything I could do environmentally that would help me. Because yeah, absolutely. I can't sure. find anybody that can help me. Yeah. Erin, what do you think? Um, well, I mean, certainly there's some factors, environmental factors that unfortunately may have, led to your autoimmune disease but you know there's no like um magic bullet like this is the answer but certainly dietary at this point to improve you know dietary things could be changed Um, a western diet is definitely known so like high fat high protein high sugar all of these things can lead you know promote um, autoimmune disease and sort of a low-grade inflammatory state that um, is, you know, linked with a lot of different um, problems. Um, sometimes exposure to UV light can affect um, some autoimmune diseases. Smoking, so you know, uh, smoking is a big one. Uh, stress, just general stress, any type of toxic chemical, um, you know, and then sort of way back, you know, infections, you know, some some sorts of infections are associated with the development of autoimmunity, um, especially ones with different types of like herpes viruses and stuff like that. Yeah. So that would be just some, a, a list. It's not a full list, but those are some things that yeah. I sort of think of. Yeah. And I'm so glad you mentioned the fact that the Western diet or mm-hmm. the standard American diet, which if you think about standard American diet, SAD, SAD, um, you know, is kind of contributing to that underlying kind of chronic inflammation that we see going on. So when I'm working with a client in lifestyle medicine um, that may have an autoimmune issue, you know, of course, I can't say this is going to make you 100% better or this is a, you know, a magic cure for anything, but we can help support your immune system and get rid of the kind of extra things that may be um, kind of pro-inflammatory or trying to induce some inflammation. And so added sugars is the first one that I look at. And so if we're, you know, if we have a diet that's very high in, you know, kind of processed food and foods that have added sugars in them, sodas and candy and cookies and cakes and pies and all this kinds of stuff, you know, we want to try and pull back on that artificial food as much as we can and try adding in uh, fruits and, and veggies that are going to be rich in antioxidants. And sometimes we will have Uh, patients that report kind of a decrease in their either their flares or in their perception of the pain or discomfort again not a cure but kind of a um, a adjunct to just helping your immune system not be quite so irritated at you all the time so okay and he had also it did but let um, let me tell you something else tell me that um you know when i take the prednisone Mm -hmm. that it does help of course um, but I know it's got long-term effects, and he said that I could find somebody that would give it to me, but in five years that I would be basically in a wheelchair with heart disease and probably blind, like he named all of the things that could have probably happened to me. Mm. Young children, and I told him <laughs> that I feel like 
you know, in five years, I would rather have an active life for five years and be able to raise my family than, mm-hmm. you know, live to I'm 80 and not be able to walk. You know, that's right. my, my thought process, and maybe I'm wrong on that. Right. But, um, you know, being a mother, I want mm-hmm. to be able to be as active as I can for my children. Um, Absolutely. So that I don't know if that's a, a risk. I guess it's a personal risk if I'm willing to take it. Um, or not. Absolutely. That's going to be kind of what we call a risk benefit evaluation, where we look at the the very real um, consequences of kind of chronic steroid use, which you mentioned some of them, weakening and thinning of the bone, cataract development, diabetes, um, you know, some other endocrine abnormalities that can come along with that. Um, But but also the, the kind of quality of life that, that you want to have and matching those two right. things there. Um, you know, what I tell my patients is you're always in charge. Um, you know, you're always the, the person that gets to kind of, kind of point us in the direction that you want to go in terms of treatment. And if you, you know, if not every um, person gels with every particular healthcare provider. So if you feel like you're not getting kind of the answers that you are comfortable with or you're not understanding the treatment plan, it is never wrong to get a second opinion um, from a, you know, from a different healthcare provider to see if they recommend anything differently in the treatment course. Um, So, you know, and that's fine. Um, But yeah, it is going to be a a more individual kind of assessment on, on what your, your goals are and what, what your quality of life is there. One more question. I mean, would you recommend like an endocrinologist, like um, the doctor that's on there today, or would you recommend, like, I've been going to dermatologists, I've been to regular general practitioners. Like, so I would go with a rheumatologist, um, that they're really the specialists in autoimmune type illnesses. And so I would start with a rheumatologist there. If you need help finding one, you can certainly send me an email, fit at mpbonline.org, and I will send you a list of rheumatologists in your area there. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. 